Hey, I'm Tamara Kendacker, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. So after a long break, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the return of Succession, the smash HBO show about an extremely wealthy family running a corporate empire. It's centered around an aging, domineering media mogul and his children who are battling it out to take his place. And today's episode isn't about Succession, but we're going to talk about a real-life Canadian story that has quite a few parallels to the show. There's Ted Rogers, the founder of Rogers Communications. Before he died, Ted made clear that he wanted the company he built to stay within his family's control after his death. And then we have his kids, Edward and Melinda. Here's Ted talking about them in an interview with TVO before his death in 2008. Now, he and Melinda would would like desperately to also be the CEO, but that will be up to a board committee and then the board. And uh, and we have, as you pointed out, a fair number of very talented and experienced people. Edward and Melinda are currently on two sides of a power struggle happening within the company that's exploded into the public sphere. It's a story that has everything, an attempted coup, a divided family, and lots and lots of money at stake. And this is all happening at a crucial moment for the company as it tries to convince regulators to let it acquire another huge telecommunications company, Shaw. Alex Pazadsky is the Globe's telecoms reporter, and she's back on the show today to bring us up to speed. You're listening to The Decibel. Alex, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the cast of characters in the story, beginning with Ted Rogers, the late patriarch who founded the company. Tell me a bit about him and about Rogers' origin story. Sure. Um, So Ted Rogers started this company with a radio station, and then he went across the country acquiring cable licenses and sort of building Rogers uh, as a telecom and media company from the ground up. Uh, His first investor was his wife, Loretta Rogers, whose uh, family helped to finance his initial venture into the industry. Ted suffered from a variety of health ailments all of his life, and so succession planning is something that he put a lot of thought into as he built the company um, with sort of a mind to making sure that the company would stay within the control of his family for as long as possible. And so his children and his wife have survived him. He died in 2008, and now they're at the top echelons of this company. So Tell me who is on either side of the family rift that's developed over the last month. This sort of rift that's erupted in the family is essentially between Edward Rogers, Ted's uh, only son, who sits as the chair of the family trust that has voting control over the company. And he's found himself um, on the opposite side from his mother, Loretta Rogers, as well as his sisters, Melinda Rogers Hickson and Martha Rogers. Right. So we have Edward Rogers on one side. And and what is his history with Rogers and what's his role and, and what's happening right now? So Edward at one point expressed a desire to run the company as a CEO. Instead, he wound up becoming the chair of the company. Um, In his book, Ted Rogers said that Melinda is the child that is sort of most like him. 
for which he sort of expresses pity for her. And in Caroline Van Hassel's book on Ted Rogers called High Wire Act, um, she does an interview with Ted where he says that Edward is more focused on sort of the financial side of the business and Melinda is more strategic. Most recently, um, what we discovered was that Edward Rogers had a plan, which was to get rid of Rogers CEO, Joe Natale, and he wanted to replace uh, Mr. Natale with the company's chief financial officer, Tony Staffieri. And Edward also, um, we've learned, intended to remove a number of other senior executives at the company um, who either, um, you know, he planned to fire or who presumably would have left if um, the sort of turnover in the executive ranks of the company uh, were to go forward. And then on the other side of this are Loretta, his mom, and Melinda and Martha, his sister's why are they at odds with Edward Rogers right now? They don't want to see uh, Joe Natale and his team go. This past March, Rogers announced that it had struck a deal to acquire Shaw Communications, Inc. for $26 billion. And that uh, merger is still in the works. It still needs approval from three regulatory bodies. The view from the board seemed to be that, you know, this is sort of a, a pivotal moment and that Joe Natale's role is important in making sure that this deal gets through and uh, that this would sort of not be a good time to replace the management team that's running the company. Okay, so you mentioned something called the Rogers Family Trust a couple of times. And before we continue, can you just explain Rogers's governance structure and how this trust sort of fits into that? Mm -hmm. Rogers has, uh, as every public company does, uh, a board of directors. Um, and that board is partly made up of family members and longtime advisors like Phil Lind and Alan Horn, as well as independent directors. Now, the kind of quirk here is that because Rogers is a family-controlled company with a dual-class share structure, uh, about 97.5% of the Class A shares, the voting shares that control the company, are held by this thing called the Rogers Control Trust or other trusts that it controls. And decisions at that trust are made by an advisory committee, which is comprised of 10 people, six of them Rogers family members. And in order for a decision of the trust to be made, uh, it requires uh, two-thirds or seven out of 10 votes. So just to be really clear, how would you explain the hierarchy of power within this company? Because it seems like there's a lot of overlap between the advisory committee for the trust and the board. That's right. Well, at the end of the day, the control trust ultimately holds a lot of the power here because they have the ability to replace board members. Right. OK. And, and why was the structure set up this way? Ted Rogers says in his uh, autobiography uh, that essentially he he set it up this way because he wanted to ensure that his family maintains control of the company for as long as possible. And also that he wanted to have checks and balances in place, um, you know, that prevented someone from one individual, for example, from making drastic changes. Let's rewind a bit. What was the first sign that you got that something was maybe wrong at the highest levels of the company? 
So the first thing that happened that gave us um, an indication that something was going on here was in late September when we learned that uh, Tony Staffieri, who had been the CFO for a long time, was uh, leaving the company. Um, and, you know, usually when you have a CFO retiring, for example, you'll have sort of a six month transition period. But here it was effective immediately and there was no reason given for Mr. Staffieri's departure. Right, which is weird, especially considering they're in the middle of this merger. And what have you learned since then about why he left? What we started hearing um, in conversations was that uh, Joe Natale and Tony Staffieri, they didn't get along, um, that they didn't necessarily see eye to eye on sort of the company's strategic direction. And uh, what we then discovered was that this departure uh, of Tony essentially had been preceded by a plan by Tony um, and by Edward Rogers to replace Joe with Tony and, you know, that Joe found out about this sort of covert plan to unseat him when Tony accidentally telephoned him while he was sitting with a Rogers former executive and discussing the plan. Um, so when you say he accidentally telephoned him, that it was basically a butt dial. We don't know if the phone was in his jeans or in his blazer pocket, but you can call it a butt dial. And why does Edward Rogers want to replace Joe Natale? What Edward Rogers has told us in a statement is that his focus really is on the company's long-term performance and that, um, you know, on this point, he said, industry stalwarts, controlling and minority shareholders, uh, analysts and market observers basically all agree that there is room for improvement. What Mr. Rogers appears to be referring to is, you know, the fact that um, Rogers' share price has actually lagged that of its rivals, uh, BCE and TELUS in recent years. So the backdrop to all of this is this proposed $26 billion merger with Rogers and Shaw, which is crucial to the company's performance. Why would Ed Rogers decide in the middle of all of this to try and replace the CEO? That sort of remains a question at this point. We know that that's one of the issues that the independent directors who Mr. Rogers is attempting to remove kind of highlighted in a letter that they sent last week to John Tory, uh, the mayor of Toronto, who ran the cable operations um, with Ted. His family uh, has had long ties to the Rogers family, um, which essentially said that they were very concerned about replacing Joe at this time because of a number of reasons. There's the relationship that he has with uh, underwriters, like the banks that are going to help Rogers uh, raise the $20 billion that it needs to finance the acquisition. They pointed out that uh, it's Joe who's sort of the contact person who's made guarantees to these institutions. They pointed out that massive changes at the board and at the management level could cause ratings agencies to panic, which could lead to a credit downgrade, um, which could basically wipe out some of the financial benefits of the transaction. Um, and then they said in this letter that, you know, Brad Shaw, the CEO of Shaw, had requested no more changes at the board and in the management of uh, Rogers, which is something that uh, Brad Shaw disputes in a statement that he provided to us. And so how did the Rogers family initially respond to all of this? So as soon as all of this kind of got out in the press, um, Loretta Rogers, the family matriarch, uh, Ted, uh, Ted Rogers' widow, 
came out and she said that she supports Joe Natale and his management team and that he's the right CEO uh, to lead the company at this time. What about the company? How has the board responded to Edward's plot? So on this past Thursday, which was sort of a busy day for Rogers, their earnings came out. Um, There were these two sort of very pivotal meetings. Um, One of them was actually of the Rogers board. And at this meeting, the majority of the board voted to remove Edward Rogers as its chair and to replace him with uh, John McDonald, the lead independent director and was formerly uh, the president of the enterprise division at MTS Allstream, as well as a COO of Bell. So sort of an industry veteran. And on that same day, there's a meeting of uh, the Rogers Family Trust, during which uh, Martha, Melinda, Loretta, and John Tory essentially vote in support of a motion to restrict Edward's ability to exercise voting control of the company. Uh, but the motion fails because it didn't get the requisite seven votes that it needed. Wow. So, so where does that leave Edward Rogers? Like, what kind of position is he in now? So Edward is uh, still a director on the company's board, and he's also still the chair of the Family Control Trust. But here's where things get a little bit weird. So that evening, Edward puts out a press release basically announcing an intention to replace the five independent directors who had opposed him with his own slate of five independent directors through uh, what's called a written resolution. So that means he's doing this without holding a shareholder meeting. He says that under the laws of BC, which is where Rogers is incorporated, you don't need to have a shareholder meeting to replace directors, and that the changes that he's announcing essentially came into effect on Friday morning. The company then puts out a statement saying that this is invalid, essentially, and um, now the two sides kind of find themselves in a disagreement over which independent directors currently sit on its board. There's been another development since then, which is on Saturday, Martha Rogers tweeted this thread, which so far is my favorite part of the story. It's pretty explosive. And tell me, tell me what she said in that Twitter thread. In the Twitter thread, Martha Rogers basically says that she she and I guess her mother and sister um, are going to spend every penny that they have um, fighting Edward Rogers' attempt to overhaul the board. She says in a tweet she is going to reveal the truth about Edward's Trump scandal five months ago. Um, This is, I believe, in reference to a a photograph that Edward's wife, Suzanne Rogers, posted on Instagram Mm -hmm. where the family is posing with the former U.S. president at his resort in Mar-a-Lago, which, you know, prompted quite an outcry from the Rogers Fashion School and, you know, alleges that uh, she was threatened with severe personal repercussions over this story uh, in order to sort of suppress the story. Uh, Martha also essentially in these tweets says that the only way that Edward can stop her from, you know, tweeting all this information is that if he uh, ceases, desists and steps down. She said essentially that her father, Ted, put her on the board as a check and balance to ensure that nothing this insane occurs. And she writes, this is for you, dad. And she addressed the comparison to succession in the Twitter thread. And, And tell me what she said about that. I think that's one of the reasons why the story has really fascinated people. I mean, the timing of all of this breaking is just as the third season of Succession is coming out. And you can certainly see kind of parallels between the two stories. 
Both are about a media company that is led by a father figure who is sort of larger than life, um, which is how Ted remains even after his death. And in both stories, you have siblings that are fighting with one another. But Martha Rogers uh, said in her tweet that she actually sees a situation as more akin to Game of Thrones than Succession and uh, that she hopes to God she's Arya. So Rogers has a corporate structure that Ted set up to make sure that the company stays within the family. And what do experts you've talked to say about the structure? One of the corporate governance experts that I spoke to, uh, a guy named Richard LeBlanc at York University, essentially said that there are a number of um, sort of features of the Rogers board that are kind of not in line with best governance practices. Um, he mm-hmm. says he that, you know, there's a reason why it's designed that way, and that is because of the involvement of the family. But, um, you know, in general, there these features include that the board is generally bigger than you would normally have. Um, you know, at the time, the chair of the board uh, was not an independent director. Richard said that the issue is that when you have sort of a structure like this, it can sort of lead to disagreements. Tim Collads, uh, one of our reporters here at the ROB, wrote an opinion piece where he essentially argues that if you have this kind of structure with a family control trust that can overrule the board on these sort of important matters, then why even have a board in the first place? Because, um, you know, essentially they don't have any power. Is there any reason to care about the story for the average person beyond the fact that it's a pretty juicy story about the the infighting of a very wealthy family? Rogers is Canada's largest wireless carrier. And so, you know, there's all of these customers that essentially hang in the balance. Um, These kinds of big decisions at the top of a company determine its strategic direction and investments that are made. And those investments can ultimately impact the quality of customer service and the quality of wireless service um, and the quality of internet service that people receive. Um, It also obviously can have an impact on the company's share price, which is very meaningful for investors. And it also is going to potentially have an impact on this acquisition of Shaw, which you know, is going to reshape the Canadian telecom landscape. And so, you know, Rogers is a company that is very prevalent throughout Canada. Um, You know, they have the Blue Jays and they own part of MLSE. Um, So Mm -hmm. they have their sort of uh, hands in a lot of pies here. And there's a lot of reasons why Canadians should care about the story. And what kind of impact could this have on the, the deal with Shaw? That's essentially the $26 billion question here. Now, um, Brad Shaw, who's the CEO of Shaw, he told us in a statement this week that the company is still fully committed to their merger with Rogers and that he's not going to speak about private family and board matters at Rogers. And he also noted that recent characterizations of any views that he or Shaw may have about the situation are false. What do you think is next for the company? Where is this all going? This is a very fast moving story, and it's sort of hard to predict exactly what's going to happen from one day to the next. Um, But we do know that there's this public CRTC hearing into the Shaw acquisition at the end of November. And it'll be, um, you know, really interesting to see kind of how the regulator addresses some of these uh, recent developments. 
And why do you think this family feud has escalated so much and gone so public? Why is this so important to the members of the Rogers family? I mean, this is a really critical time for Rogers. Um, This acquisition of Shaw, Ted and J.R. Shaw, the founder of Shaw, um, have long had sort of a, a relationship which has been described as sort of a handshake deal that saw Rogers dominating the cable market in the East while Shaw dominated the cable market in the West. And in the industry, there's long been this sort of understanding that one day Shaw and Rogers might merge. You know, this is a deal that not only sort of makes sense for Rogers from a business strategy perspective, but is also one, you know, that Ted would have loved to see happen that feels in a lot of ways like very essential to the legacy of Ted Rogers. Alex, thank you so much. Really appreciate this. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. I'm Tamara Kandakar. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Kasia Mihailovich. David Crosby edits the show. Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thank you so much to Alex Pazadsky. You can find her on Twitter at Alex Pazadsky. If you want to reach us, you can email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. If you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter at anima underscore TK. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.